0: want to know how to create interiors and images that take your brand and business to the next level and stop people scrolling in their tracks and actually like, follow, and even better, reach out to you to buy your product or service. I'm going to show you exactly how the step-by-step process, because if you can't captivate people with your imagery, you're really going to struggle to get your business off the ground. You will stay stuck and feeling like you're not making any progress. I want you to know that this is not just about taking good photos, although we'll cover that. It's about creating images at the next level using the art and science of styling, because this is how you create an emotional connection. This is how you arrange what you've got in an artful way to elevate your spaces. And this is how you create interiors that are so compelling that they move people into action to connect and convert with you and your product or service. So, the big question, of course, is how I am going to share you with you my exact step by step process to style any interior with clarity and confidence so that you can take your spaces to the next level and create an impact with your imagery. Because this is how. You stand out in a crowded marketplace. This is how you make compelling images using your existing client work, your products or your place if you have an Airbnb. And this is really how you finally start to grow your business. If you don't have this key foundational element in your business, you're really going to struggle to make progress and have the type of growth that you want. So come join me in a free live class, The Confident Stylist, and I'll share with you my three-step system to creating inspiring interiors and irresistible imagery with clarity and confidence. Register now at nataliewalton.com forward slash confident. That's nataliewalton.com forward slash confident.
1: Sharing is a really important part of the creative process. I think I mean you cannot share uh, and just for it to be part of you, but I think that when you share things, that's when you have the opportunity to see where it could go.
0: Welcome to Imprint, a podcast about creating a home and life you love. I'm Natalie Walton, an interior designer, stylist and best-selling author focused on an holistic approach to homes. Each week, I'm sharing insights and interviews about the creative process to help you enhance both your interiors and well-being, as well as provide you with the tools and resources to make considered and sustainable choices with all that you create. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Imprint. I'm very excited to welcome today's guest, who is... Someone that I came across her work through one of my courses, funnily enough, and I'm really glad that I did. That's what I love about creating these courses is that you never know who you're going to meet and the, you know, be inspired by you, the students. So it's been a wonderful journey. Her name is Anissa Hayati, and she is a Kenyan, Iranian, Australian artist with a background in design and fashion. When we met, she, at the time, was doing jewelry design. Since then, she has pivoted towards an art practice. Her artworks are amazing. I love them so much. And she is a creative through and through. But that's not where she began. She began in a very different kind of career, a very different type of industry. And so if you are someone who is perhaps not doing what you love, with your life, you know, you're maybe in a career that you don't love, I think you can get a lot of value out of today's interview. And she also shares as well, because she has moved countries many times due to her husband's work, um, how she manages to transform rental homes, and also her experience of doing Airbnbs, some of the tips that she's learned, she's been doing it for um, many years now, And she's got some really good insights and um, advice that she shares in relation to that too. So I hope that you enjoy our conversation. Be sure to check out her website and her Instagram feeds, which we'll link to in the show notes, because I think you're going to love her work as much as what I do. Please enjoy Anissa Hayati. Hello Anissa, thank you so much for joining me on the podcast today. I'm so excited to learn more about you and your story. We first kind of met and came in contact when you joined my course, The Styling Masterclass. And I really loved everything that you created within that course. And then since then I've sort of seen you go on this other journey, like physically you've been moving countries but also in terms of your creative practice And uh, when we met, you were doing jewelry, now you're doing art and other things. But I wanted to just start at the beginning. So can you just give our listeners a little bit of a background about you, where you grew up, you know, what, whether you were creative as a child and those early years where you're just trying to work out what you want to do when you're in high school and thinking about, you know, life after school. Can you share a little bit about your story, please?
1: Uh, Hi, Natalie. Yes. Thanks so much for having me. Um, I absolutely adore your books and I really do resonate with your perspective and the things that you share. So I'm really happy to be here. Um, Yes, I was creative as a child and I am not sure if um, this is the major contributing factor, but I am half Kenyan and half Iranian. And I was living in Zambia with my mom. And when I was five years old, we came to Australia as refugees. And we joined my grandparents um, and extended family in a small Australian country town um, called Orange. And when I got there, I went straight into school into grade one, and I didn't know a word of English. um, And I couldn't speak, I couldn't understand it. And I think that that might have been why in really early on I sort of lent heavily um, on creativity as a means of expressing myself um, and also uh, definitely a way of processing the things that were happening and the situations that were occurring in my early childhood years. Um, and that sort of ranged from, I don't know, role-playing, I used to dance, I used to sing, I, I used to love drawing and We had um, a bunch of encyclopedias, which I feel like I'm really showing my age, but we had a bunch of encyclopedias and I used to freehand, like copy the the pictures of the animals and the plants that were in there and try to get them, you know, exactly right. I used to do that for hours. Um, Instead of playing with dolls, I used to draw out the scenes of their interactions, so almost like comic book strips. Um, and then when I went into high school, um, art was my favourite subject. I finished um, top of the grade for that, um, and I entered art competitions um, and won awards and uh, even got the opportunity to have uh, immediate acceptance of the art program at my local university, like without having to show a portfolio. Um, and when I was in high school was the time when I really uh, – sort of developed my love for interiors i used to try to get as many interior magazines as i possibly could and i'd you know cut out clippings and save them and dream about the types of furniture that i could have in my room i i had a like most of us i guess had a smallish room and it had a, just a few pieces of furniture in it but i'd run around the house and steal decor items in the house and decorate my room and paint it and shift everything around in it and my mom Um, always jokes that she used to always find me rearranging my room whenever I had a big like, stressful event like an exam or um, yeah so and I still do that now when I'm stressed out I rearrange the whole house Uh, it's a very calming activity for me Um, so I grew up my high school years in another small town this time in North Queensland and I didn't really know at that time, the options that were available to me um, in creative industries, especially ones that were really financially stable, um, or sort of viable in that way. And uh, I just had a couple of cousins that were in the fashion design industry, but they lived in Sydney. And so because of knowing about them, I thought, you know, I want to become a fashion designer, I didn't really know anything about the business of fashion design, but I knew that I loved illustration and I loved, you know, bringing creations to life. Um, And so that was my dream was to become a fashion designer when I was 17.
0: And so what about then, you know, in that time when then you had to make the decision about, okay, this is what I love, you know, this is what I enjoy doing. But what about a career? Did you then step into fashion or what happened next?
1: Yeah, so I (laughs) went um, and became a pharmacist. That's what I did, what I actually did. Um, I, my mom was really sort of um, encouraging me to put something down on my paperwork for university. uh, Because I said, you know, I want to do fashion design. I knew that if I Had put down anything on that piece of paper that it would be something that I would have to really consider instead of taking the creative path. So, but she was smart and she said, you know, why don't you just write down one thing, anything that you could do at university? And so I wrote down pharmacy, I applied, and I really didn't think that I'd get in. Um, And when I did get in, I was crying so hard because I knew that I had to make this decision um, of, you know, choosing financial, uh, some sort of career that has financial stability and would be, um, had a real direct path um, versus, you know, going off into the unknown, traveling to Sydney and and going and, you know, trying to find a course to do and working my way up or or whatever um, path that would have been. And because I didn't, because we were in a small town and, you know, there was no internet, there was no Uh, ways of really understanding the different professions that could have been out there for me to choose from, because of that, I, you know, I guess I decided to take the safer path. What actually happened was my mom said, look, I know you're so upset. Why don't you defer it and go away for a year? Um, Because I graduated quite young, like 17. She said, go away for a year, think about it do some sort of service for the community and then you know come back and then when you come back you can decide whether or not you want to go ahead with it and that was kind of smart on her part because i went away i joined a dance troupe i traveled western australia with them we used to paint and dance at the same time i went to alice springs and um thursday Island, and i got to meet um, bangara dance theater which is which was so inspiring and then i went to kenya by myself for four five months and you know, those experiences are quite eye opening. Um, And so when I came back, you know, I was really thinking of those experiences, and, and thinking of, you know, the nudging that my mom was giving me, and I decided to study pharmacy. And that was sort of the next five years of my life.
0: Wow, I mean, that's, that's amazing. And what were you thinking, though? Were you thinking that you know, I'll do pharmacy to kind of get some money behind me, and then I'll go back to this other thing? Or did it kind of, you sort of decided, no, I'm going to shelve that idea. I'm just kind of curious, because I think there's such big life decisions that you have to make. And, you know, what you're listening to, which part of like your, your knowing or your brain or your fear or whatever it is that
1: you're listening to. Yeah. Um, I think I am quite a log- I'm a very logical person. So despite the very strong feeling um, of, you know, knowing that eventually I probably would have really disliked being in pharmacy, what my mum was saying I knew was logically probably the right thing to do. Um, and she, you know, kept telling me, look, you can go do pharmacy and then, you know, you'll have the money to be able to, to fund the creative projects that you want to do instead of um, going down this creative path and not really knowing um, whether or not you're going to be able to sustain yourself. And I think, I don't know, I've got mixed feelings about it because I feel like, um, and having a background, like a cultural background, I'm, I'm half Iranian, like I said, like that. And, and also having a refugee background, you know, financial stability is such a, uh something that's really highly considered um when you're making a choice and there was this joke even when i was growing up that if you were iranian that you would either become a doctor a lawyer an engineer like that that was kind of it um and so you know it was difficult for me to think of doing something creatively that wasn't going to give me that stability and i think that that at that time there was kind of a misunderstanding of the value um, added by creative professionals, it was kind of seen as more of a hobby. Um, so that was kind of what my mum was suggesting. I was like, you know, you can go and make money, and then you can pursue your hobbies. Um, but I have a better understanding of of that now. Yeah.
0: And I mean, I can relate to that on so many different levels. I mean, it's different, you know, cultural background, but my mom is Eastern European and it's a very similar thing. And I've got a friend who's Iranian and she became a dentist. So I, I get that as well. <laughs> um, but um, so then what happened? So you went on to do pharmacy but obviously, when I met you, you were doing jewellery. So fill me in. Yeah, <laughs> fill
1: yeah. oh, in. All right. There's literally like 20 years of that. <laughs> I don't know how much you want to know. Um, but basically, uh, yes, to your point about, you know, the, I think generally as a society, creative endeavours are just so undervalued um, and even still not sort of seen as, as important as they are. And it's really intriguing to me because it's, almost the thing that we all enjoy doing the most it consumes most of our time it's you know we watch movies we listen to music we enjoy going to restaurants that are designed in a particular way we um do we we you know consume a lot of content that other people have created it's something that really consumes all of us but then there's this kind of disconnect when it comes to um taking it more seriously as a like imperative part of society like a and and society's advancement which sounds a bit dramatic but um yeah i I, I, yeah i can really relate to what you're saying about you seeing that happen a lot um so yeah so what happened was then i went to uh finished pharmacy that took five years i became registered and about six months into that i was dying (laughs) i needed some sort of creative outlet so i went to the tafe and i enrolled myself in a six-month full-time design course. Um, But I did continue working full-time at that time because I had been married already actually for two years. And I, again, needed, we needed the money. I was the sole financial provider at that time for me and him and he was studying. So I took on that design course as well as sort of working full-time. And then after
0: that, Sorry
1: to interrupt, but what what sort of design was that? Was that interior design, graphic design? It was actually a general design course because I didn't know exactly what I wanted to do. And after I finished that um, six-month course, I decided, okay, now I either want to do fashion design or I want to do interior design. And I, at that point, really, really loved interior design and thought that that was probably the path that I wanted to take. But when I went to the open days um the full-time workload for interior design was was very high and i knew i needed to keep working so um fashion was sort of the alternate option which allowed me to work full-time and study full-time so i would go to tafe um so i did fashion so i, I went you know to TAFE from i don't know what, what it was nine till two o'clock in the afternoon when they finished and then i'd go off to the pharmacy from 3 till 8 p.m. And then I used to work every second weekend, like 10-hour shifts on Saturdays and Sundays to maintain my full-time hours. Um, And, yeah, that's what I did for two years. And then when I finished fashion design, I made um, a a capsule collection and I went um, to Sydney uh, store to store showing them my lookbook and um, trying to sort of, you know, get into stores there. Um, and I had some interest, um, and some people were even keen to order. Some people were like, you know, circle back in a, a few seasons time. We want to see whether or not you're going to actually stick around. Yeah. And about two weeks after that, the global financial crisis occurred. Oh, no. <laughs> and, um, basically all the stores that I spoke to, a lot of them, unfortunately, literally shut down. And then um, some of them turned back and said, look, now can you circle back in four to five seasons? Because, you know, we can't take on some some fledgling at the moment. Um, And so, yeah, my timing was an epic fail. Um, But, you know, I learned in that process that I I actually hated it. (laughs) I hated, um, I really enjoyed the process of developing you know designing and creating the designs but everything else that was associated with it my interactions just the whole feeling around it i really didn't like um so it was a really interesting lesson for me it took a few years but yeah
0: it's just like that thing of hindsight isn't it it's like you know in, in retrospect yeah. we can see the value in the lessons but in the time it can hurt and sting and you feel like oh, yeah. licking your wounds.
1: <laughs> oh yeah, it was it was quite devastating. I mean, part of it was devastating because of what happened with the, you know, financial crisis and I couldn't see where it could have gone, but also part of it was like, oh my gosh, I'd been pining for this for so long and then when I actually did it, it it just wasn't what I thought it was going to be. So, um and then uh my husband had finished by then his uh he was working and he I was studying international economic development, so I knew that we were going to be going overseas. And funnily enough, you know, pharmacy is not that transferable um, to especially Southeast Asian countries because you can just sort of go into a pharmacy and get whatever you want. It's not really a regulated profession here. Um, So I went to uni uh, again and I did my master's in international public health, um, thinking, okay, you know, we're going overseas and this can be something that I can do there. Um, so I did that uh, while continuing to work, and that sort of landed us by the end of that course. We were by then in Jakarta um, in Indonesia, and we stayed there for four years. And then we went to the US. Um, and I had by then I had two kids I'm under three years um, old, and I wanted to be with them at home full time. So I decided not to sort of go go to work and I stayed home and you know when you're a creative I think probably your listeners can relate to this as well is that you pour a lot of energy into your space your home and being overseas as well you know you want to make your living space feel really special and um you know enrich your daily life and being in contexts where you're not used to um makes home so important. Um, it takes I feel like it takes a different type of energy to live outside of like the parameters of what you're usually used to and and it's a different type of energy you need to face the day and it's kind of exhausting in its own way and so home is somewhere where you know you can really you really need to recuperate and feel like you're connecting um, connecting with yourself um, yeah. yeah so yeah.
0: No, no, completely. I mean, I I think that's such a huge thing. And I think it's, it's something I've definitely noticed people who live in other countries to where they were born or where they were raised, and they don't have that sense of familiarity. It's like your home becomes um, heightened, you know, the experience that you want to have in it, because you don't have that safety or that sort of comfort of, you know, home, like, in quotes in terms of what it was. And and so you're having to create that for yourself. And I think it becomes really important to create that type of space. So yeah, definitely can can understand that. And so then when when did the sort of the jewelry making, I guess that's when I met you and you were sort of immersed in that and um would love to know um yeah then sort of I guess curious, you know, why you took the course um at that particular point as well and how it helped you in the next chapter of your creative life.
1: Yeah, I um that time of my life we I just had um my third boy and um huh, we we had done so many different projects and adventures but I hadn't really honed back into um connecting to um my you know art side. And so I, there was another mum that was living close to me in the US and we um, were quite good friends and we decided that we wanted to do something that was creative. um, And that was, you know, some sort of business that we could do while we were at home with the kids. And so we decided um, to do jewelry because that was something that she had had experience in and i really didn't care what it was i feel like i'm like that all the time I'm like whatever creative thing it is i'll be a part of it um so i was like yeah cool i can you know take photos and we can set I, you know, I can set up an instagram and we can i can do that side of things and you can do the back end sort of things which she was really good at um so we did that for several years and back then you know instagram was really great for a small business, you had all these eyes on you. And, you know, if you posted it really easily converted to sales. Um, So it was a really different type of time. I think now you really have to work very hard for that. But back then, it was pretty, yeah, pretty easy in that sense. Um, So that was really a fun um, sort of adventure for us. But I knew that that wasn't exactly what I wanted to do um I knew from the beginning that it's not exactly what I wanted to do but it was it was a good gap fill and I really still knew that I loved interiors and so that was when I was like you know I need to upskill if this is something that I want to do um so that's when I found I was I think I was following you already for some time and um you offering that a course and I really again, resonated with the things that you're saying about the importance of home. And, um, you know, it's, yeah, it's value and um, the reasoning behind it, I feel like you explain it um, so well. And so I thought, you know, this is a person that I can really learn from, and I feel like has similar values and ideas um, about or perspectives about this topic. So yeah, I, I entered that course then. And that was when I was sort of deciding we were moving countries again. And that's when I was sort of deciding, do I continue with this jewelry thing or do I put that to rest and start to sort of focus more on interiors and art? Because actually also I I thought, you know, I, you know, after you have kids, you know, I feel like it really uh, after my third child especially, I feel like I really got to know myself you change a lot after each child, I think. And I really feel like I got to know myself a lot after my third child and also the context that we were in um, in the U.S. And I thought all of these things about all of these things that I wanted to do. You know, I had this, you know, they talk about aspirational or fantasy self. There was all of these things that I thought about myself, um, things that I wanted to be, but then I wasn't actually doing the action to be those things. And one of those things was deciding about leaving the jewellery thing and actually pursuing what I wanted to pursue, which was um, creating art because I knew I was an artist at heart um, and I was calling myself an artist, but I wasn't actually producing any art because I was spending all this time with this jewellery business. So that was the time when I was like, okay, try to align what you think about who you are with, with what you're actually doing.
0: Yeah. So I don't know. if that's a question. No, 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 no. It does. It does. Because, um, I mean, I remember, well, there were a few things that I just loved about what you created during the course. One was that, um, you were, I, I can't remember if you were in Cambodia, maybe at the time, but um, you really had to make the most of your space, which is something that I say all the time. I think people get so caught up on, but my home's not perfect. And, Mm -hmm. um, you know, put all these restrictions on themselves, but it, that's not the point. The point is engaging with your creativity. As you say, like, you've got to actually do the work. You've got to do your art, whatever that is, and I love like that you would, you know, get really creative with your space, with the the different assignments that would be part of the course and and how you, I could really see that, you know, like, yes, it's probably not like your, your dream space, but you really worked it if you know what I mean. And um, <laughs> which I love. And then now I love seeing, I mean, I love your art. It's, it's just so beautiful. Um, but what I love as well is seeing how the sort of the. I mean, this is what I'm hoping is that some of the things that you learned in that course, it's really, um, you know, enabled you to like style your work in a really beautiful way. Like you're you're obviously a very visual person. And, you know, that's what I think styling is as well. It's being able to kind of tell a visual story in so many different ways, whether you're an artist, whether you're a jewelry maker, whatever it is you're doing, it's like being able to compose your space in a way that is visually pleasing and it can be, you know, for your products or or whatever it is. So, um, yeah, I just, I've loved really watching that, that evolution with you and your work and your spaces and, um, and seeing how that's all come to life. So I guess I'll be really interested to know, um, you know, like, so now you're doing your art, can you share where you're living right now? (laughs) And, um, and give a little bit of an insight into so you know, what does your creative practice and your days look like?
1: Um, Yeah, Uh, yes, I just based on what you just said, yeah, doing the course really, because I felt um, like I really didn't, I, I felt like I knew inside me what I needed to do, but I couldn't filter it or um make it make sense and your course kind of helped me understand that a lot you know what what was actually my style what you know beyond trends you know or what how do i want to um display my art because at that time also i just like i love creating art but i don't know how or where to hang it in my space like i don't really understand how i should do that so the course was really helpful for me in that and i really loved that it, the the focus on you know work with what you have because what you see on in, in social media everything is always so perfect and it feels so difficult to share your own spaces when they when you haven't created them you know from ground up you know i being overseas a lot of the times so at that time actually i was in myanmar um, and then I was in a rental apartment in Australia uh, because of COVID, and so you know when you're renting, you can't you can't necessarily have the perfect uh, space uh, to to do things. So you really have to figure out what angles and what you can crop out and where you should you know position things to try to make it feel a particular way. Um, in terms of my art oh gosh I've forgotten what you are see yeah, I was battling so-
0: <laughs> <laughs> well I guess um I mean I just think it would be interested to first of all yeah so where where are you based now because I know that then you kind of came back to Australia you you definitely move a lot and yeah. um you know what what gives a little bit of an insight into your practice in terms of like how much time do you spend creating your art at the moment and what are you working towards? Um, Yeah. What's like, what's your kind of goal right now as well?
1: Yeah, sure. Um, So from the U S we were in the U S for six years. We went to Myanmar, we were in Myanmar for about a year and then COVID hit and my children are asthmatic. So we had to get out of um, there pretty quickly. And we didn't really know that we'd be gone for so long we left and said, "See you guys in four weeks' time." And then, you know, it did, that didn't happen. So we ended up in Australia, and we were in Australia for two years, um, which was unplanned. And the second year we were in Australia, I really um, there was so much shifting and moving, and so much everyone everyone went through so much during those two years um, that I really again lent back into my art as a way I think to process what had happened um, in the world, what was happening, because there was a lot happening at that time too. It wasn't just COVID. There was a lot of um, race-related like issues um, that were really piked, spiked up at that time. And so I, again, sort of lent into my art as a way of of, of processing those thoughts and, and expressing myself and just finding um, a space where I could really get away and meditate, I guess, Um, because when you're, you know, when you're in a creative and you're in your workflow, you, it's almost like you're just sort of in touch with your true self. And so that was really healing for me to, to get back into um, painting and drawing. And um, that year I produced quite a bit of work and um, I connected with somebody in Sydney who was also selling uh, my artwork and that sort of um, that was a really good affirmation as well. And I we were living at that time in on a, in a it wasn't a farm, but it's a big piece of land um, in the bush. And so during the day when the kids were at school, that's what I would I would do um, as well as renovating a little bit. But, yeah, I would spend the day. Um in the shed, basically, um, painting and creating. And then we moved to Cambodia. Uh, that was that's now about eight months ago. And um, I again continue the, the you know I've, I've been building on um, my artwork and my um, the collections of artwork that I've been doing, and I basically work while the kids are at school. Um, I spend um, the day sort of doing that as well as settling in here. Yeah. And I think now I've just come to a point where I can really focus on it. Because up until now, the past four years, three years has just been a lot of upheaval for our family.
0: Yeah, no, definitely. I I do want to ask you as well about what you've learned about living in different homes. I mean, you've got a Quite an itinerant life in terms of you've lived in lots of different countries, lived in different types of homes, and as you say, you know you've had to rent a lot of those homes. What do you think is a good way to to make a rental home feel like a home from your experience? Because I get a lot of people saying, "But you know, I can't improve my home because it's a rental." And I I've lived in lots of rental homes, and but I'm just curious to get your take on it of what because I think you do a great job of it. how can you make a home from a rental?
1: Yeah, I think there is lots of lots of ways that I've come up with. Um, for example, like there's there's little things and big things. I think one part of it is if you have the financial means, you can maybe make a decision to do something that will require you to pay for it later. So for example, um, I made a decision in this home in the last home that I was in that I was going to hang things up. Um, I know different countries also have got different levels of how particular the landlord is. So in America, for example, you, you know, you can paint things, you can hang things up as long as you sort of deliver the the unit back, sort of the way that it came, it tends to be okay. Whereas I know in Australia, it's quite difficult. I remember when we were renting there, it would be like if you've put a hook in the wall, you're gonna to have to pay to repaint the entire wall. You know, it was quite difficult. Um, but yeah, one thing I decided was like, you know, if it if it's gonna cost me, I don't know, five six hundred dollars to fix the walls and repaint them, uh, that's something that I, you know, I'm going to do because I know that I'm going to be here for more than a year and it's going to really affect me. You know, having blank walls the entire time. Or for example you know working with balance um and looking at your space and thinking okay if the ground is like this super shiny tile which is what i have in this home um maybe then you know i will then put down a seagrass mat on top of it so that i don't see you know a cheaper sort of thing that's going to cover the floor that uh, so that i don't see the floor or i will pick something of interest to put in the room which draws your attention away from the thing that you don't want people or you don't want to look at um if it's something that can be unscrewed unscrew it you know if it's a light fixture that can be changed again sort of investing in just change the light fixture and you know put it back um but yeah working with balance i think is is one of the biggest things you know if, if something is too shiny I, I had this bookshelf in this house when i came here and it had all this gold trim it just wasn't my style um and so I had somebody make an insert, a bookshelf insert that went that goes in over the top of that, just to cover it, um, because I knew that it was going to bother me so much. Um, so you can do things like that, just covering covering things either with material or pieces of furniture. Um, yeah, I think there's yeah, lots no, of.
0: But ways. They're all things that I that I've done in my places as well. I think that you know just that simple act of like switching out you know, the light fittings, you know, so if you've got a pendant that you really don't like, then just, you know, unscrew it, put it somewhere safe, and then just hang up something that you like that you can take with you when you go rugs. Yep, I'm all for it. Though all of those things. So completely agree. <laughs> um, Now, before I get into the final questions that I ask everyone, I also wanted to touch on because um you mentioned that, um to me that you've got some airbnbs that you've been doing quite a few of those and i just thought it'd be great to get your insights or learnings into you know running them and managing them and and what's made them a success what are some of the lessons that you've learned with
1: that um yeah so we we from dc basically we have started um we'd started doing airbnbs um we were there like I said, with our little ones, um, and they were just one was newly born and the other one was three. And my husband was like, you know, we should we should go on trips and use um and an Airbnb our house out uh, while so that it can pay for us to go away. Um, and at first I was like, absolutely not. I don't want anyone in my personal space, like I don't want to do that. And he said, Oh, come on, you know, it'll be nice, do whatever you need to do to um to make it feel comfortable for you. So I went out and bought towels and and bed sheets and stuff and linens to to have for them separate to us and we went away um and we booked it out for the weekend we went away and we um had a great trip and then we came back and by, before we even came back it had been booked again for the next weekend and we went away again and then the third you know and then again it got booked for the next weekend and the third time I was like look this is exhausting i don't i don't want to go away every weekend like i want to actually be at home and And at that time I was cleaning the Airbnbs myself and preparing the apartment. And with the two small kids, I was like, I don't want to go away every single weekend. Um, So my husband was like, okay, well let's think of what would make it okay. Like he's an economist. So he's like, what's your price for like (laughs) (laughs) leaving? And I was like, no price. I don't want to go. He's like, okay, think about like um, maybe, you know, you have a goal, like you want to get a laptop or an iPad. I was like, I don't want any of those things. I just want to be at home. And then, He's like, come on, there must be some price. And I was like, okay. And I said this ridiculous amount of money, which, which uh, at that time would have paid for like two thirds of our monthly rent. And I was like, surely it's not going to work. So I said that, and I said, oh, I don't want to clean anything. So we're going to have to, you know, hire a cleaner. He said, okay, fine. And we put it, he listed it at that price and it took a little bit longer, but like a week and a half later, someone booked it again. And, um, I was sh- like, it was shocking to me, but back then it was, that was when, um, that was about 10 years ago now. So I think because of the way that maybe, because of the way, I think obviously it is actually a contributing factor because of the way that the apartment was furnished. I have, a, I had a quite a minimal aesthetic back then and because Airbnb was kind of fresh at that time when you went looking for places to stay on Airbnb, they were people's homes and they literally had gone on holiday. So when you saw photos of their houses, you know, the bed had been, you could tell someone had slept in the bed and there was stuff lying around in their photos. And, you know, it just didn't look sort of designed or, or almost like kind of more like a hotel. You really could tell that you were staying at somebody's home. And I think the aesthetic that I had when you photographed it, it actually looked, it looked really good. <laughs> um, and so I think people were willing, we found this sort of niche market where people were willing to pay that little bit or a lot extra to stay in a place which felt um, uh, more designed, well-designed. And so at that point, we realized that we were you know, onto something. And, oh, it's a big story, but I'll try and keep it short. Um, but basically we we then moved out of that apartment. We moved into a home and we continued renting that apartment um, and airbnb it out full time. And the owner at that time, you know, we told him and all he said was you just have to pay for the insurance. So we we just did that. And um, another um, apartment came up in that same building. So we ended up um, renting that out as well. And so then we had two Airbnbs running at the same time. And we learned a lot from that, um, I think, uh, really to know what who your target market is, um, and making sure that you're sort of hitting all of the points that they that they care about. Um, the other one was location. Location is extremely important, um, and we had an apartment in Canberra City as well at that time, and we decided, okay, let's make that an Airbnb as well. But we were living in Washington DC, so. It was exactly the opposite timing, but we put in sort of procedures and systems to be able to run it remotely, um, like lockboxes and um, uh, really good text communication. Um, And we, you know, had that third Airbnb. Uh, And then the guy who owned that apartment actually sold it to somebody and they said, we don't want Airbnb in here. So we rushedly... And hastily made a very risky, again, decision um, to go and buy a, a row house, a really old 130-year-old row house in Washington, D.C., and um, renovate it. I was about eight months pregnant then, so we didn't have much time <laughs> to renovate it. But we renovated it and moved all of the furniture into that, um, and we still have that now. And then when we left the U.S., uh, we Airbnb'd the house that we were living in, um, which we also renovated. And, again, um, I guess the tips would be making sure that the location is is really convenient for people or is in a location where people want to go and see things or do things, um, and that works in both seasons. Um, that's another learning we had was that to have a location which works in summer and in winter. Um and we sort of niched into bigger group bookings. So our group bookings are about sort of 12 and up. Uh, so when we went to Australia, we after the a year of living in an apartment and not knowing whether or not we were leaving or not um, during COVID, <clears throat> we decided to buy a big piece of land. Um, and it had on it four buildings. And um I think our Airbnb journey sort of culminated there. We we, we bought that and we um, it was quite run down. It was kind of from the 80s. Um, it had one building is was already a weekender um, and then the other building was <clears throat> the cottage which the owners used to live in and then next to it was a shed. Um, and so when we went there, it, we knew it was a lot of work to to sort of fix it up to a point where we knew that we could get continual bookings. Um, but the location was fantastic. Again, good in winter, good in summer. It's around activities which people want to be um, a part of. Um, and so we really had a vision for it. Um, and so, yeah, we've been renovating that. So we renovated that one part, one building while we were there. And then the cottage and the shed, we're actually in the process of finishing renovations with those now. And those buildings. Um, we can, across all the buildings, we can sleep about 70 people. So it's kind of almost like a mini hotel. Wow. (laughs) Um, but yeah, so, so that's really exciting. And that's what the process that we're going through right now, which has been very interesting is, um, renovating remotely (laughs) because we thought we could get it all done Mm -hmm. while we were there. And, you know, it doesn't just didn't happen. I mean, COVID and timelines and um, council regulations and things like that. I guess the other tip would also be to just really be aware of um, regulations for Airbnb in your area in that area where you're buying and making sure that you're sort of complying by everything, because the last thing you want to do is invest in a property or somewhere where you know, down the track, they might turn around and, and revoke that. Um, so whether it be in the states where some counties have got different rules, um, or in Australia, even, you know, getting the correct type of, um, uh, licensing and whatnot. So that's another sort of tip is to do that research before you invest in, in something.
0: Yeah. It seems like all of those rules keep changing as well. So you definitely need to check those out because they've changed recently in our uh, local area as well. So, um, Yeah, no, I thought that was really interesting to kind of get a bit of an insight into that from you. All right, well, we're going to finish up with um, the questions that I ask everyone on the podcast. And um, the first one is always the hardest one, but I'm sure you can do it. (laughs) I've got complete complete faith in you. So first question is, which five words best describe you?
1: Yep. Um, I think I'm thoughtful. I'm too full of thoughts, actually. (laughs) I think a lot. Um, I am empathetic. Uh, I'm definitely creative. I know that about myself. Um, I'm very truthful and
0: resourceful. Great. What's the best lesson you've
1: learned? Um, uh, I think reducing, you know, being able to reduce enough of the noise in your life to really tap into your intuition, like your gut feeling. Um, I think that's important.
0: Yeah. What's your proudest achievement?
1: Uh, My, I think my marriage, you know, I've been married for 20 years and I definitely think that's an achievement. You know, marriage is hard and um, yeah, my marriage. That's beautiful. What's been your best decision? Marrying, getting married to the person I got married to. <laughs> oh, it nice. was. It really, yeah, it really, yeah, it's, it's a, yes. The person I got married to, that was my best decision. You better make sure he listens to this then. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> I'm getting brownie points. <laughs> Who inspires you? my mom my mom inspires me a lot she her her struggles um her achievements her accomplishments um her journey to get to where she has yeah definitely her what are you passionate about uh creativity I am so passionate about creativity in any of its forms um yeah what would you she say just create-
0: This is not one of those questions, but I'm just curious. What would you say to somebody who is, you know, maybe they're still working in the pharmacy, but they, you know, they've got that kind of whisper within that, you know, they want to be creative, but they sort of, they're not sure if they can make something of it. What would you say to that person?
1: I'd say do what you can with the restrictions that you have, whether it be time or, you know, whatever the whatever the constraints are, do whatever you can, whether it's, you know, rearranging a shelf in your house, or whether it's, um, you know, putting on something pretty and taking a photo in it, or um, whatever, whatever you can possibly do in the time that you have. And it doesn't have to necessarily be your dream thing that you want to do. But I think it can become very Uh, mentally challenging for someone who's creative to not have some sort of outlet. Um, Even for myself, like I, you know, I am an artist, but sometimes I just don't have the time or the space to paint the things that I want to paint. And so instead I will, I love fashion still. So I will put on something and I will take photos in it. It's, it's fast. It's much faster for me to do than, than painting. Um, So I've got, some creative outlet um, and I'm not as invested in it because, you know, it's not my pure passion. So it's something I can quickly do and and share. And I think share sharing is a really important part of the creative process. I think, I mean, you can not share uh, and just for it to be part of you, but I think that when you share things, that's when you have the opportunity to see where it could go um, and whether or not you like it. I mean, you don't want to be like this, pharmacist for the rest of your life and not having even tried to do something and then see whether or not you even liked it you know that which is what happened with me in fashion so yeah that would be a real shame not to just try and share and see see how you feel about it once you do that
0: so good I agree completely with what you say um back to the questions <laughs> I just curious to get your take on that
1: um what dream do you still want to fulfill uh I you know, we're just settling now. So I I think looking at my calendar, looking at my days and weeks and ahead and seeing um, a creative practice that has, um, that's more defined. So I guess, you know, you know, knowing that I'm going to produce artwork in the morning and in the afternoon, I'm going to um, do interior design work. And that's, you know, that's what my days will be filled with.
0: I'm, I'm sure like you're going to make it happen. Great. I can see it definitely. <laughs>
1: um, and I look forward to following the journey of it as well. Um, what mm-hmm. are you reading? I've just been reading um, The History of Art Without Men. Oh, gosh, I can't remember the lady's name. Um, I've just been reading that. And if, I, I don't know if you've read Big Big Magic. Um, yeah, that's great. Yeah, I think that's a fantastic book for someone who is a, uh, not closet creative, but someone who's sort of doing um, something that maybe they don't want to be doing and, and have that creative inkling, I found that that book was just, yeah, fantastic.
0: Yeah, it's um the audio book's really good of it as well. I've yes, read both, well, yes. you know, read it and listened to it. And um, listened to it, yeah. Yeah. Um, what are you listening to? Do you listen to podcasts or audiobooks? What do what do you like listening to? Yeah,
1: I, I used to listen to a lot of audiobooks, um, uh, but I but I stopped now. Um I've been listening to a lot more music. Um, but yeah, I like listening to podcasts. I listen to your podcast. I love it. Um, and yeah, I listen to I usually get obsessed with one song or one artist at a time and you know, they create that mood that creative helped me get into that creative flow and so I sort of obsess over them for like two three weeks and then I, I change so so who are you listening to at the moment um at the moment um there is this artist called um G- Gabriel I don't know how you say his name Gab- gabriel Gazon maybe Gabriel Gazon he makes interesting sounds and um it's music, but it's it's got an interesting sound to it and it really evokes emotions within me. Um I, yeah. I right. think it sings in Spanish as well, but I, and I don't really understand. But the yeah, the feeling of the music really helps me get into uh, uh flow.
0: Yeah, we'll have to get the details off you and we'll we'll put it in the show notes. Um yeah, sure. and, and finally, what piece of advice would you give to your younger self?
1: Ah, uh, um you know, reflecting on what I just spoke about today, I really believe in in um, the importance of process. I guess, you know, despite all of the pain points that you might go through and all of the sort of what-ifs, now, you know, thinking about looking back, um, what we go through is so pertinent to who we end up becoming. I don't know if I would really say anything to my younger self. Um, uh, maybe I'd say don't be embarrassed of who you are. Yeah, I don't know. And maybe you
0: embrace the journey because, I mean, like you say, you know, all those pain points are just part of the process, aren't they?
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, they're that's what life lessons means, right? I mean, that's yeah, it's
0: yeah, no, definitely.
1: All right, well... <laughs> you have to just go through things to understand, you know, who you are and, and what you believe. and. Yeah, there's no there's no shortcut. That's right.
0: Um well thank you so much for for joining me today. We had a few technical problems, but we got through it. Fingers crossed, Yay. everything is recorded beautifully. I hope um, so. <laughs> <laughs> but um I really appreciate your time. We're gonna share links to your Instagram feeds because I really want everyone to check out your artwork. It is so amazing, so beautiful. Um I mean, how would you describe it? Like what how would you describe your art?
1: Um, okay. I, I think it's kind of in two categories. Um, one is uh, my, I do a lot of large scale, um, abstract work, which is sort of inspired by the environment. It's inspired by nature. It's very textural and layered and organic. And, um, I try to sort of explore the, the tensions between sort of nature and technology and you know human advancement. Um, that's one sort of uh, sort of category, and then the other one, um, which is a which is a collection that I'm completing now, is more about exploring identity, um about appreciating appreciating beauty, but also um you know complex feelings that we go through as humans and trying to sort of capture that in expressions. and um, that's another sort of type of art that I've been making, and I'm really excited about I, I'm looking into making prints of that available soon um yeah those those two those two categories i guess i it's hard to you know it's nice to talk about what you're inspired by in art and at the same time you know you don't want to take away the magic of the relationship that the viewer might have with that piece because what you're thinking or feeling when you're making something might be different to how someone perceives it so i guess My aim is that the art that I produce is sort of asking the viewer to see how they're feeling when they see it and and to make that connection themselves um, with the piece.
0: Yeah, no, love, well, really well said. Um, Where can people find you if they want to check out your art
1: or check out your interiors, the homes that you create, all of the things? Sure, um, you can find me at on instagram on at Anissa Felonia. That's sort of my art and um some what I call procrastination portraits. So I take some some uh, fashion photos in between. Um, and then um delight upon delight um is the the space where I'm sort of sharing interiors things. And I've been sort of looking at how to share the backstory of how things come to be in the context that I'm in right now which I think is kind of interesting because it's a bit different to going to the shops and just buying something there's a lot of interaction with makers and things like that so I've been trying to capture that and I've also been dabbling I just last couple of weeks ago dabbling with YouTube because I think that that's kind of a better space for me to be in maybe to be able to sort of tell a story in a longer format Um, Instagram is a bit fickle in the sense that you can't really hold people's attention for too long um so yeah so also on 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 youtube which i'll give you the link for
0: okay definitely i'm definitely going to check out that because yeah i mean with my own journey with instagram it's been a bit fraught recently (laughs) so um i'm i'm all about exploring different ways to um to connect to create community and like you said i mean instagram was such a different world you know, sort of 10 years ago. And um, I yeah, it's just, I feel like it's taken all the fun out of it. And that sort yes. of connection that we all so much enjoyed in the past. So um, yeah, we'll definitely get those details for the YouTube, definitely going to check that out. Thanks again. Yes. And um, well, yeah, I'm really happy to be able to learn more about you and
1: your amazing work. So thank you. Well, thank you so much, Natalie. I really appreciate you having me on.
0: All of the links and info for this episode are at nataliewalton.com forward slash podcast. Don't forget to subscribe so that you can get a direct download of the latest episode. And I really appreciate when you take a minute to rate and review, as well as share the love with someone you know who might benefit from this episode or on social media. If you'd like to access a range of free resources, come visit my website, nataliewalton.com. Thank you to Jaeger Media for producing this podcast and I would also like to acknowledge the people of the Bundjalung Nation where it was recorded and pay my respects to Elders past, present and emerging. I look forward to connecting again soon. I'm Natalie Walton and you've been listening to Imprint.